0: Choose Linux, episode 16, for August 22nd,
1: 2019.
0: Hello and welcome to the show that captures the excitement of discovering Linux. I'm Joe. I'm Drew. And I'm Elle. And here we are for episode 16. And we're all back in our own homes now, having spent a week together last week, which was good fun, during which we all got together and recorded. But not for this show.
1: No, we recorded a little segment for the new Jupiter Extras feed, which is now available. And it was you, me, and Elle all together. And we talked about L's trip to Hacker Summer Camp.
2: I'm hoping that people enjoy hearing the story because I'm already ready to go back next year and it's only been a week.
0: Nice. Yeah, so go to extras.show slash 2 for that one, but be sure to subscribe because there's tons of other cool content there. But let's start this week then with Distro Hoppers. And last week, the random distribution button on DistroWatch gave us PC Linux OS. So what did you two make of it?
1: So we decided to try the Plasma version, but there is a Mate desktop available. And we had some trouble with it when we first loaded it up. Al and I were sitting on the couch in the JB studio and trying to put it on this old HP laptop, and the installer was not working. Specifically, it seemed like it had mounted something on the hard drive that it was then trying to install to, and it just wouldn't do it. it. It just kept going back to the partitioning screen. Eventually, what did we do? We turned it off and turned it back on again, and it worked just fine, but it was a strange issue having that the first time we tried to run it. Now, I didn't encounter this issue again on that laptop or on another laptop that I tried it on later, but it was a little weird to be faced with that right before we even get into the operating system itself.
2: The OS itself does list out on their website hardware that they recommend to use and computers that they recommend to use. However, I really wish that it was more filled out, that there was more there because the laptop we were using wasn't listed when I got home. The laptops I have available here weren't listed. So it's a good start, but really without being more fleshed out, the docs itself aren't very useful to picking what hardware to use with it.
0: Well, I installed it on my usual little Vivo book, which is all Intel and generally works well with all distros and I had no problems at all. It was just completely plain sailing for me.
2: So Joe, whenever it loaded up and you get kind of your splash screen, I know this is completely random, but could you tell what animal is the mascot? Because Drew and I sat there for about five minutes passing the laptop around going, what does this look like to you?
0: I could not tell either. I think Chris said, but I can't remember what he said it was now, like a vole or something.
1: That's exactly what he thought it was, was a vole. And it does kind of look like a vole, but I honestly don't know enough about that animal to tell you for sure if that's what it was.
2: Well, there's our first mystery for this OS.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I actually downloaded and installed two different versions of it. One was just the main version, and one was the Dark Star version, because that sounded cool. I thought I'd try that out. And I think... From what I could tell at least, the Darkstar version is just kind of stripped down and doesn't have anywhere near as many applications because the main version is pretty packed.
2: With both versions, did they have a similar setup or a similar install? Because this was the first operating system or first Linux distribution that I've used where the install process is not really around the user creation. The user creation steps don't even happen until after you've rebooted and removed your boot disk.
0: Uh, Yeah, it was the same deal for both of them. And that's not all that common. It's kind of a legacy way to do it. That's generally how it used to be done for older distros, kind of pre-Ubuntu.
2: I felt that this install kind of gave me more options that I wasn't accustomed to, or maybe it's because I generally just do the suggested install. But things like, do you want SMB installed? Do you want APIC and your local APIC installed? You know, Do you want uh, for the system to go and look at your bootloader for configuration for your video mode? It was a lot more to it than just your basic install on other distributions.
1: Yeah, it was pretty in depth, but at the same time, I felt like it was also missing some options that a lot of power users are used to seeing. Like the partitioning wasn't very robust and, you know, little things like that, which isn't the biggest deal. I mean, most people are going to just wipe a partition and install or possibly install it next to Windows or some other OS. So ultimately, you know, I just, I found the options that were included a little weird in how professional they were while it was missing some other standards that I was used to.
0: While I was installing it alongside a couple of other distros and I had no problem with it, I didn't really notice anything missing, anything that I would want. So no complaints for me.
1: So let's get into the operating system itself. Uh, how did you guys find the desktop?
2: So it was a, a little basic. I, I... There wasn't really much to it. It was interesting because I found that they really did want you to use the GUI for everything. Um, When I was running into some issues with the way that my trackpad was working, since I don't travel with a mouse, I started trying to look at the best way to configure it. And their documentation specifically says that they don't want you using the command line, that things should be done, you know, even installs through the GUI, which kind of goes anti the way that I've experienced Linux before. Well, I will say that PC Linux says that they are a Linux distribution written from the bottom to the top with the new Linux user in mind. So it's a Linux distribution that's supposed to be just as easy as Windows to use. The one thing that did give me pause on that description is they follow up with, unlike Windows, you'll never have to worry about malware or refragging. I'm like, all right, well, I might agree with the defragging, but here we go again saying that every Linux distribution is free of malware.
1: Yeah. And on top of that, I had some issues with just trying to get the Wi-Fi connected when I got home and tried it on my laptop here. I noticed that it prompted me to put in the root password to load up the Wi-Fi connection dialogue. And asking a user for a root password to me is kind of a security no-no.
2: One of the things that I faced when I was using the Wi-Fi was normally I just go well normally I just do an MCLI to be honest with you all, but when doing the GUI I go to network interfaces, and though that did allow me to see the network interfaces that were used on the computer, it didn't actually allow me to be able to, you know, really interact with them. Um, Drew, can you talk a little bit about the process that you went through to set up the Wi-Fi?
1: Sure. So at first I looked and I didn't see the you know, ubiquitous Wi-Fi signal icon on the plasma tray. So uh, I was digging around in some menus and I found their network applet in the menus and I loaded that up. That's when I was prompted for the root password, which gave me a little bit of pause because why do I need a root password just to connect to a network? Put that in and... Sure enough, it gave me the Ethernet and the Wi-Fi. I clicked the Wi-Fi dropdown, and it did present me with a list of SSIDs. And interestingly, it also separated them out by access points, so I could see individual access points and connect to which one I wanted, which uh, could take or leave. I mean, there are benefits to doing it that way, but most users would probably appreciate the simplicity of just having one ssid and being able to roam between access points
0: well i have a tiny flat with one access point so i don't have that issue i was able to just connect to it no problem great speeds uh, th- this is the kind of theme developing here with this you two were kind of complaining about all your problems that you had with it whereas for me everything worked perfectly from installation to connecting to the network then it prompted me to update and said, do you want to do an apt-get upgrade? And I was like, yes. And so then it did that. And then I proceeded to use Synaptic to install applications, and that worked fine. I just had very few problems with it, whereas it seems that you two just were kind of nothing but problems here.
2: I think this has a lot to do with why they have that section on their website talking about which hardware and which laptops they recommend using it. Um, Unfortunately, I just don't know what the answer is to how to get more information into those docs.
1: Yeah, and the issues that I had, I was running on uh, my trusty ThinkPad X1 Carbon, which has all Intel, everything, and it's usually pretty basic as far as Linux support. I
0: did have one weird issue, though, because I was trying to set up all the things that I would normally use for work, and Mumble is one of the key things. That's what we're using right now to talk to each other. And that was pre-installed, so I thought, okay, great. Tried to open it, and it gave me this weird error about a database. And so I was like, okay, tried to kind of uninstall it, reinstall it, nothing. And then I Googled it, and then it turned out to be a dependency that it was missing. So I installed that, and then it worked perfectly. So it's a bit strange to bundle software without the relevant dependencies, so that it just doesn't work.
1: Well, and speaking of pre-installed software, I had some reservations about some of the things that did come pre-installed. Now, I was on the full version, not the Darkstar or the Minimal, but it came with MegaSync and NitroShare and TeamViewer all pre-installed, which I thought all three of those were slightly odd choices.
0: It did seem to have everything but the kitchen sink installed, including some proprietary stuff, which, yeah, is a bit strange, really. And I tried to install Chrome, and with it not being Sousa, Fedora, or Ubuntu, there's not really any installation options from the Chrome website. So I just thought, well, let me just see if it's in the repos, and it was, and it was the up-to-date version and everything. So that was a bit strange as well. I've never seen that, I don't think, bundled Chrome in the repos.
1: Yeah, just all around it kind of feels like a curious distro and I'm really not sure what to think about it. I mean, it's perfectly serviceable, but just some of the design decisions and, uh, some of their custom tooling just, I don't know. I, it, I don't quite feel like it's for me. It just doesn't gel.
2: I will say that with everything I experienced in trying to troubleshoot and Googling answers, I can tell that this OS is definitely created from love because I found a guide from 2006 where they created the PC Linux OS user's guide that is straight written like you could print it out and have a book. It is, you know, has a table of contents. It has pictures. It shows someone exactly how to get started. And I'm even seeing that transitioned into their wiki that also has a full-time chat room going. So you can tell that they really take pride and are trying to do what's best for this operating system.
0: Now, I mentioned apt-get to do the updates, and I was able to use that for installation as well, although not just apt, you had to do the apt-get, and that all worked perfectly. But curiously, this is an RPM-based distro, and there was no YUM and no DNF.
1: Yeah, it all felt a little strange loading up Synaptic for an RPM-based distro, but apparently they're using something called apt-RPM, which I hadn't really heard of before.
0: But it all worked perfectly well, and Synaptic is my GUI software center of choice. It's stripped down enough to be lean, but it's got just the right features that I need. I don't need any more than that. So I was quite happy with it. I was kind of comfortable with Ubuntu and stuff. There was no sudo installed. You had to do a SU to uh, get root access effectively to do any of the package management. But I did actually install sudo and then add myself to the sudo as file well so that I could just do my familiar sudo apt-get install or whatever.
1: Yeah, and so long as you don't mind typing in the root password to access your package manager, then, yeah, that's probably fine. Personally... I don't really like typing in the root password if I can avoid it, but eh, maybe I'm just being a little too strict.
0: Yeah, well, that's why I installed sudo and set that up for myself. I feel a bit more comfortable that way.
2: Well, it's interesting that you took that step, uh, Joe, because as I'm going through the documentation on their site, I found a, the 10 commandments for Linux users. And number one is thou sh- thou shall not log in as root. <laughs> So, hmm, I think you're already breaking the commandments just to start off with.
1: Well, I don't know necessarily about that. It does also say to use su or su- for administrative tasks, though uh, some would argue that even switching directly into the root user isn't really the way to go, that uh, properly granting permissions to users themselves might be a better route. But that's kind of a bigger philosophical discussion than we should really get into here.
2: I did love number four, which is thou shall read documentation and man pages, which is a very kind way to say RTFM.
0: (laughs) Yeah, which I never do. I always just muddle through. So yeah, I'm afraid I don't agree with that one. If you need to read the man page and documentation, then they are doing it wrong as a distro, I think.
2: So I think my favorite out of all the commandments is the 10th commandment, and that is thou shall not give up. That's because I think any of us that love open source knows that at some point it's going to break or we're going to break it. And we just kind of have to push through and try to figure out how to make it work for us.
1: Well, I'd like to read out my favorite commandment. It's number seven. Thou shalt explore. Linux opens a whole new world of options and possibilities. Try everything you can little fortune cookie wisdom for you all. <laughs> well, yeah, and having the Plasma desktop pretty much
0: reinforces that, doesn't it? Because you can change almost anything you want.
1: True, which, you know, base Plasma, I don't really like, but after I've spent about three hours customizing it's it great.
0: Yeah, yeah, and some of the um, decisions they made, like single click to open files, I don't like that, um, some of the defaults there. But because it's Plasma, it's possible to change everything, so it's not really an issue. All right, well, it sounds like we're not going to be switching to this as our main distro, but it has been interesting nonetheless. So let's see what we're going to have for next time. Let's go to distrowatch.com and click the random distribution button. And we're going to have Slackle. This is going to be Slackware-based, has not it? Slackle is a Linux distribution and live CD based on Slackware and Salix OS, fully compatible with both. Wait, how does that work? Yeah, how does that work? Uh, uses the latest version of the KDE desktop, so Plasma, presumably. Uh, and it's got installation and live images as two separate things, so that kind of shows the legacy of Slackware there. So, uh, yeah, this looks like it might be a trip back in time for us next week.
1: Indeed. Well, I'm looking forward to this one because I have questions.
0: Okay, so, Elle, you've been putting together a website recently, and you've been looking into the various ways to do that. And you have found something called Hugo, which is a static website generator, and you've been raving about it. So tell us more.
2: Well, this actually comes from our last OS challenge. You know, when we did Endless OS, I ended up keeping it around because I love a lot of the applications that it has. And one was for me to learn HTML and CSS. But I kind of wanted to push past it. So I started looking at, you know, what should I use? And I looked at WordPress for a little bit, and I looked at some other ones. And a friend said, why don't you try Hugo? It's really simple to use. So I went, and first of all, I am a huge documentation nut, and I loved how easy their documentation flowed. So I said, all right, let's just click on getting started and flow with it. And it was really simple to me to use. I just followed along. Um, I will say that I originally was running on an Ubuntu box when I did it, and I did an apt install Hugo, and it installed version 42. And I started having a lot of issues. And when I Googled it, I realized they're on uh, version, like, 53 at this point. So I did have to uninstall and reinstall it using um, the snap package, which gave me an up-to-date version. And then things from there went pretty easily. One of the problems that I did run into, though, is it is an open source tool, which means anyone can contribute to it, anyone can make themes for it, and not everyone has the same love for documentation. So a few of the times that I tried and I was following some of the themes, things would break. I couldn't actually add content when I wanted to. So, I did have to go through a few themes till I found one that was fully documented. And from there, it was pretty easy. I, I used the command line for a little bit and then actually went to the GUI because it was simple as drag and drop into folders to add content. And I was able just to use Sublime Text to configure one file to set up the homepage. So, I don't know, I really loved it. And I know that I kind of challenged you guys to give it a try. What did y'all think?
1: Well, I thought it was pretty great as well. I've, you know, set up ghost blogs and WordPress and lamp stacks in the past. And this was far and away much easier than any of those other tools. So getting from you know, installing the server to actually having content available to open in a browser was probably the quickest I have ever seen on any kind of web host ever. But Joe, I understand you had some issues.
0: Well, yeah. When Elle originally talked about this, I had pictured some sort of GUI-based website maker. And I was a bit skeptical of that because they traditionally spit out pretty ugly HTML that is just not properly compliant. And um, and even if it is compliant, it's, it's messy and hard to edit manually and stuff. But then it turned out that this is command line based. You said you use the GUI um, basically just a file manager to drag things around, but ultimately you do need to use the command line to get started with this. So straight away I was kind of a bit, uh, I don't know, disappointed by that. And I did follow the documentation and that got me to a certain level and then I had to kind of look for some tutorials. And okay, I did get it going, but... Ultimately, it felt like quite a lot of work for, yes, okay, you get a static site out of it, which is going to be potentially a lot more secure than something like WordPress, but I don't think that it's really aimed at beginners, is it?
2: I think it really is aimed for beginners that are wanting to learn something. Look, if I just run a small business, I could care less about my website development. I just want to throw a site together really quickly and have it up because I'm not at the place yet where I want to hire a web dev, then all right, you know what, that's a different use case. But in a beginner's use case where, you know what, I want to learn some HTML, I want to learn some CSS, but I want to be able to use something as simple as Markdown to get me started, Or I want to use a pre configured template just so that I can have something that I'm building around. This is a great learning tool.
1: Yeah. And while it's not like Wix or Squarespace or, you know, even a hosted WordPress instance, it does give you that flexibility to adjust the content yourself, to really get your hands dirty and change how it's displaying the content through the theming engine. And then add Markdown on top of it to create content, which I really, really respect. So I don't know if I would say it's beginner, but maybe intermediate, you know, really good for somebody who wants that kind of creative ability where they can go beyond what's offered in those, you know, drag and drop, easy to create website builders and wants to really make something their own and probably host it themselves. Or even just for like a little site that you only have on your computer for like viewing your old notes or something like that. So it's a, I feel like it's a really good project for somebody who's wanting to just step beyond the bounds of hosted sites.
0: You know, I was ready to really come to bat against this and say that you should use something like WordPress.com. But you two are convincing me with, with these arguments, but I'm going to try it anyway and uh, convince you the other way. If you go for something like WordPress.com, then you can build up your site. It's totally free and it's all uh, WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And there's no markdown knowledge required, no HTML knowledge required. But then the advantage is you can export it from that at a later date. You can export your database, re-import it into your own hosted WordPress instance where you've set up your own lamp stack and installed WordPress. So it does give you that option later down the line. But I think the argument that you two are making here is that it's for people who are somewhere in between that. You're not quite ready to set up your own web server and install WordPress or whatever it is. But you are beyond that, just drag and drop, WYSIWYG, whatever. And maybe you want to create your own website with this and then host it on GitHub, for example, which is free but is going to give you proper hosting. So I think you two, I, don't know, I think I'm talking myself into uh, appreciating this a bit more than I was before this conversation.
2: It's one of the things that I loved is the ability to use GitHub because as I'm learning, I had my static page that I made just with their guide and that was up and I could have a different branch where I'm trying new things, I'm trying them locally and pushing them up to see how it affected before merging it. So It was a really interesting way to kind of note my own progression and my own learning. It's something that I'd really challenge people to see because it keeps you motivated.
1: And one thing that I want to mention is the quick start instructions are so good. They are really, really great and very easy to follow. But with one caveat, they're very Mac heavy. So the official documentation does say go and install Linux Brew. I would argue that you shouldn't do that, and instead, you should be doing it through SnapD if it's available on your system.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Why bother messing around with Linux It doesn't make any sense when you've got an up-to-date version
1: that is just a Snap install away. And mentioning up-to-date in Snap, it was updated just two days ago as of this recording, so they are paying attention to that Snap, and it's not just sitting there getting old.
2: You know, maybe on a different episode, we can talk a little bit for Brew on Linux because I did try to install Hugo with Brew on Linux because I'd never used it. And it went well till I shut down my computer and turned it back on. And suddenly Hugo's gone, but it's there. Like something happened with the way that it was installed that made it so I couldn't use it anyways. So it's a new thing to learn, I guess.
0: And that definitely wasn't just being in the wrong directory or whatever.
2: Yeah, definitely wasn't.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because when it comes to command line stuff, you're pretty experienced with that, right? With all your Red Hat certs and everything.
2: Oh, wow, now you make me sound fancy. But (laughs) I did troubleshoot, I promise. And I actually kind of just took screenshots and shared them with you guys to say, look, I'm not crazy. It says it's there, but it's not.
1: Well, that'll be a mystery for another day, I suppose, because I've never actually used Linux Brew. So I am a little curious.
0: Yeah, I'm curious as well. Apart from that snafu with it, How did it go with Linux Pro?
2: It was really easy. I will say it took much longer to install than it did through using snap packages. Considerably, it it is a bit more verbose. So it's like walking you through it, showing you the progression. But I would say it probably took triple the amount of time to install than it did through Snapd.
0: So I didn't get hugely far with it, I must admit. What about when you start to get into the more complex things like wanting to have images in, you know, specific places and, you know, tailor it to exactly how you want? Because you've got themes like with WordPress, right? So, I mean, how easy is it to kind of hack those themes without breaking them?
2: I loved how easy the themes were to use. And that's actually when I just reverted to using the GUI because I literally just had to get the image and drag it into the folder that's labeled IMG. And there you go. It's exactly where it needs to be.
0: But how do you position it on the page or whatever?
2: So after you install Hugo, you'll find a config.toml.toml file that every template tells you exactly what to put in there. It's literally copy pasta. Then you go and you find the section that has your JPEGs on there, your GIFs, whatever it is that you're using. And you literally just fill in the variable with the name of the image that you want to go there. There's not a lot to it.
0: I'm still not convinced that you've got as much control as you have with something like WordPress, because you've kind of, as you've described there, got these kind of set places for them, and you can put it wherever you want. But it's it's not quite wherever you want, and it's just so easy in something like WordPress to resize images and move them around and set all your fonts and everything. Um, I mean, I suppose that the the, um, the text stuff is all just Markdown, so that's relatively straightforward, but. I I don't know. There's just something about the GUI way to do it that, unusually for me, I much prefer, because it's a visual thing that you're ending up with, a website. It just makes more sense to do it in a visual way, or to just learn proper HTML and CSS. I mean, the CSS and HTML that it has generated for you, is it something that you're going to learn from and be able to create your next website without needing something like Hugo?
2: Well, I think it's important to note that you don't have to use the templates. Those are there to make a quick website when you want to play with it. But I've definitely imported CSS and HTML that I learned from my other endeavor and had it show up just fine. So I think it's a learning progression. Like, here's a template to start you out with. You've got something simple. And so I'll have, you know, my browser on one window showing what I'm working on. And I'll have the command line on another window. And I'm just making changes and watching them change. And so, yeah, I'm learning as I'm making changes because I see the visual as I'm typing in whatever it is that I'm adapting.
1: Well, and I'm wondering how far you could take it with pulling in external CSS or HTML and using it for the really, really fast and simple web server that it is.
2: You have to figure the people that wrote these templates, right? It's an open source project. So these weren't created by the people who wrote Hugo. So they had to come from somewhere. I would say that you could get to the point where you are using CSS and HTML to write themes for other people.
0: Well, you've definitely convinced me of the merits of this, if not for me, but certainly for others. So are you going to continue to use this, Al, do you think?
2: I think so. I think I have a lot to learn, but I am willing if other people have ideas of something else to give a try. You know, I like jumping around to new tech.
1: And, you know, I think I might end up using this a bit more on my system to organize things like notes and catalog the shows that I'm on, that sort of thing, just for my own personal use, not even to... Um, present publicly and because i'm not afraid of markdown like you joe
0: (laughs) i'm not afraid of markdown i just have a a strange hatred of it i don't know why i just don't like markdown i prefer html i prefer to just code it straight in html rather than messing around uh obfuscating it with markdown no thanks but before we get into a full-blown argument we should probably get out of here if you want to get all of the future episodes, then go to choose the next show slash subscribe, and there's various ways there. And if you want to get in contact, choose the next show slash contact.
2: As always, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at l underscore o underscore punk at lopunk.
1: I'm at drew of doom,
0: and I'm at Joe Ressington. We'll be back in two weeks with more exciting discoveries.